Hello and welcome to the Pop Culture Fae podcast. Here on Pop Culture Fae, we take a look at movies, TV shows, comics, and other popular media through the lens of the queer folks of society. I am Miller C. Lashbrook, and I am your host on your journey through the forest of the Fae. In this first episode of the Pop Culture Fae podcast, I'm going to talk about Pop Culture Fae, what it is about, where the name came from, and what I hope to do as I take my blog and extend it into a podcast. Then I'm going to talk about my five favorite films of all time to give you an idea of my nerddom, where it falls, and kind of my interests in pop culture. And then lastly, I am going to go over some weekly recommendations. I hope you enjoy. Okay, for our first segment today, I want to just kind of introduce everybody to what Pop Culture Fae is. So Pop Culture Fae started as a blog site for myself. I'd been told um, throughout college while getting my creative writing degree that blogs were a great way to kind of get your voice out there, uh, get people to know you as an author, as a creator. And so I was like, sure, why not? I'm going to make my own website, but put a little twist on it. So rather than it just being my website and all about me, I had this idea, this kind of vision of a blog where myself and maybe some other writers could come and share their voices as queer members of fandom. I wanted it to be a place where people could go to see the LGBTQ plus perspective on pop culture. I think still even in 2022, much of fandom is driven by uh, the majority, especially straight voices. And while sure, there's some some fandoms that are clearly driven by the queer community, fandom at large is still driven by those majority voices. And so I wanted to not only share my voice, but create a space for LGBTQ plus nerds to share their thoughts as well. So that's kind of my vision for the blog and also this podcast. I want it to be a place where members of the community and allies can feel safe to hear those voices and get those perspectives that they might not otherwise see uh, on their Twitter feed or uh, in another podcast. So why the name? Why Pop Culture Fae? So I chose the name because, I mean, I love science fiction and fantasy. I love fairy tales and fairy folklore. And I wanted a name that kind of captured a more whimsical side 
of the LGBT community and also of fandom. I feel like fandom sometimes can be so serious and take things way too seriously. And so that word fae, this idea of fairies kind of captures the fun side of fandom. Um, and it kind of also works to reclaim the word fairy, which has been used to put down members of the queer community for the longest time. Um, also, there's a little story behind it, so story time here. Uh, when I was maybe six or so, uh, we were celebrating as a family 4th of July. And me, little six-year-old Miller, I uh, got some sparklers because, of course, I was too young to be touching any firecrackers or Roman candles or any of that nonsense. So I had sparklers. I had um, a sparkler in my hand that I'm sure one of my older siblings or my mom had lit for me. And I was dancing around the yard and I was yelling, I'm a fairy, I'm a fairy, I'm a fairy because it was my wand. It was like I had a little fairy wand. And my siblings that were older, of course, laughed and now in hindsight will jokingly be like, oh yeah, you knew you were a fairy real young. But I can't help but just kind of think about how that moment captures like the whimsy that being a fan of something uh, is like, that you, you just you throw everything into being a fan of something and it makes you feel like a kid again even if you're in your 20s 30s 40s whatever and uh, that's kind of the idea that i want to capture with that name and so lastly i want to answer the question of like okay well, now you have this blog pop culture fae why take it and turn it into a podcast why why are you hearing my voice right now uh, in your years. And the main thing that I'm hoping with that is that it will give an opportunity to bring in some guest speakers. Um, a blog and a podcast are very different mediums, and there might be people who I could bring on here and we could hear from about their ideas about different topics. Uh, for instance, I could have my best friend who's a theater teacher come on here and talk about her experience uh, with queer representation in theater. Or maybe I could have um, my fiance come on here and talk about being an MMO gamer and being a member of the community and what that experience is like. So that's the main goal with turning this into a podcast. So I hope that kind of explains why Pop Culture Fakes is, what I hope to gain from it being a podcast, and kind of my um, intention with all of this. Next for my second segment this week, this would usually be a space where if I have any guests to bring on, they would speak during this time, but Today, I'm going to use this segment to 
help you to get to know me just a little bit more specifically get to know like what kind of nerd I am uh, a little bit into uh, a little bit of a window that is into the kind of nerd that I am. So I'm going to go over my top five favorite films of all time. Um, I'm going to go in, um, I'm going to go backwards. So we'll get to my favorite at the end. As all uh, top fives or top tens should function. Anyone who starts with number one in any kind of ranking is doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start with some honorable mentions. So if I was doing my top ten, these are some of the films that would be in kind of um, sixth or ten, if you will. Uh, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Love it. It's my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, I mean, it was the first Star Wars movie I saw in theaters, so it's kind of like there in the brain. That gets an honorable mention. Lion King, the original animated film. I mean, what can I say that hasn't already been said about that movie? I mean, come on. It's, it's an animation masterpiece. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse gets an honorable mention. That movie just feels like reading a comic book in a way that cannot be described. Um, and it just does something as a comic book fan that no other movie has been able to do for me. And then another Star Wars movie that's going to get an honorable mention, Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it's iconic. What what more can I say about that? Uh, and then also another honorable mention will go to Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, it's my favorite Harry Potter movie. It just... Uh, Time travel, yes, love it. I know some people it confuses them, but I th the whole idea of time travel that has already happened the whole time is such a fun concept, and uh, the vibe of that film is just palpable. So those are my honorable mentions. Now let's get into the top five. Number five, Inception. I know this is like a common one for your kind of bro-y film degree uh, movie fans to have as one of their favorite movies. But I just love this movie so much. It's one that I love rewatching over and over again. It's one that every time you revisit it, you find something new, whether it's the character names and their the meaning behind them or a new way to kind of interpret this story about dreaming and the human psyche and especially ever since somebody kind of explained the movie as a movie about movie making that the dreams function as a metaphor for movies that kind of has opened up that movie for me as one of my favorites. Um, and who just doesn't love the idea of being able to like lucid dream and build these crazy landscapes and this idea of um, 
putting ideas in people's heads and dream limbo. It's such like cool world building for a standalone movie. You don't usually get that level of world building in a movie that doesn't have a sequel. Sorry about that interruption <laughs> there. Uh, this is uh, the first episode, and that's definitely going to show, but I'm not too uh, <laughs> shy about showing that I uh, have never done a podcast before. So uh, I'm figuring it out as I go along. Definitely going to find a new place to record uh, so that way my fiance opening doors can't be heard in the background like you just heard. Um, but yeah, Inception, great world building, really cool concept, uh, just very deep uh, in terms of the narrative and how you can just revisit it over and over again. That's one of my favorite things uh, about any given movie is when I can rewatch it and find something new to love about it. So on to number four. My number four favorite movie of all time, Jurassic Park. I mean, I was born in the 90s. I was a dinosaur kid. I had my little plastic dinosaurs uh, that I played with. I loved dinosaurs because of Power Rangers. I mean, the, how could I not love Jurassic Park when I watched it for the first time uh, as a kid? Not to mention now as a movie fan, as an adult, and someone who aspires to work in film one day, how could I not love Jurassic Park for how impressive of a movie it is, especially with the special effects? Uh, I mean, I had a, we had a VHS tape of Jurassic Park growing up that came with uh, some extras at the end. So after the movie finished, you just let the tape keep playing. And it had some behind the scenes stuff about the movies. And it showed how they made the animatronics for the dinosaurs. It showed how they did the CGI for the dinosaurs at certain parts in the movie. And I think that was one of those kind of moments for me as a kid that pointed me in the direction of wanting to do something creative, but especially having an interest in working in film, was seeing just how this science fiction film could be brought to life. And I thought, thought, it, thought and still think that it's one of the coolest things in the world. And then now... Like I said before, I love films that I can revisit. And I actually recently rewatched the first Jurassic Park movie with my fiance in anticipation for the new Jurassic World film for Jurassic World Dominion. And the business, uh, the conversation happening in this movie, the commentary on large corporations, the commentary on the theme park industry, the commentary on commercialism, 
on the medical field, so many different layers are added in this movie when you start breaking down what the movie is doing in terms of commenting on our greater systems in society and the flaws in them. Uh, it's not just as simple as the line of the, the blood-sucking lawyer and the scientist going after him. And as a kid, you may catch those lines and you're like, ha-ha, I guess lawyers are bad people or whatever in your head. But as an adult, when you watch this movie, some of the, the small conversations that really dive into what people with money can do in our world and the little oversight that can happen and how some people, just for whatever reason, they have the ability to make these decisions that have severe lasting consequences on our society. And taking that and layering in where the franchise goes in the future. I mean, at the end of Jurassic World Dominion, dinosaurs are walking over all of the earth. And that's all because of what John Hammond does in the original film. So thinking about how that layers into the commentary of one man with a lot of money making a decision because of ego or profit, whatever you, however you interpret that for his character and how that can have a huge impact on everybody in the world. It, I mean, it's it, the movie's a classic for a reason, right? <laughs> uh, because of all of those things. And so uh, that movie just sticks with me. And, I, and it's one of those that it's like, uh, wow. It just wows you. Exactly. Number three. Let's move into number three. Now, number th number two and three kind of go hand in hand. But number three used to be more around the five or six range. But this is one that I've rewatched a lot. And every time I do... I love it more. And that is Avengers Infinity War. Um, it is my fiance's favorite Marvel movie. And uh, spoiler alert for, for uh, number two. It's not my favorite Marvel movie, but it comes very close. And simply put... I mean, anybody who saw this movie opening night in the theater knows that the ending of that movie ruined you. <laughs> There's nothing like the feeling of watching. There's nothing like watching the ending of Infinity War. And 
that gut-wrenching feeling that everybody in the audience had that this was something that we had to sit with for, <laughs> well, for I guess only a couple months until Ant-Man and the Wasp came out. But really, we didn't get resolution for this until a year later with Avengers Endgame. And the fact that we had, we saw characters like Spider-Man and Black Panther, who the world fell in love with only a couple months before with his solo movie, we saw them die. <laughs> and yeah, we could look at contracts and all that as like, uh, this character's probably going to come back, but we didn't know. We didn't know how it was all going to turn out. And so that alone puts this movie pretty far up there because of that experience of being in the theater. But why it is at number three has even more to do with the story structure of this film. The way that this film, and I'm not going to be the first person to say this, there's been plenty of people who have made YouTube videos on it, talked about it on podcasts, but the way that Thanos is structured as the protagonist of this movie is amazing. <laughs> Everybody's going to the theater to see an Avengers movie, and we get one, but really we get a Thanos movie. He has the goal. He goes after his goal. He fight, faces obstacles, but then in the end, he accomplishes his goal. He has the hero's journey in this movie, and it's, it's so clever because... Of course, you can't make a movie where all of those these different Avengers characters, Guardians of the Galaxy, all these different characters are protagonists. That's just an impossible task. In an ensemble film like this, you're always going to have some characters that are going to take a back seat. And so I can only imagine that uh, the Russo brothers and... Um, McFeely sat down when they were creating the story for this film and they said okay we can't have any we can't have every Avenger as the protagonist so instead let's make Thanos the protagonist let's really understand him as a character and then functionally the Avengers are kind of taking on the role of the antagonist, I mean, fighting against him. And so the moments where we check in with them, we get to know these characters. It's almost like we're getting our villain backstory. And I mean, if we want to functionally get into the nitty gritty Thor, I guess is really the true antagonist. If we're looking at this as a traditional plot structure, uh, he he has his <laughs> he wants his revenge right he uh, forges this weapon to try to harm our hero Thanos <clears throat> he gets incredibly close but in the end he's not able to accomplish it um, you can either look at him as the villain or I suppose you could see Wanda as a villain functionally as well with her destroying the Mind Stone and uh, nearly winning. Excuse me. 
Um, but I definitely will take some time to talk way more about Infinity War in the future. I'm sure I'll bring it up a bunch on here. I just love that movie. Number two, I kind of hinted at it already, is another Marvel movie. My number two favorite movie of all time is Avengers Endgame. Um, in fact, it's on the TV right now while I'm recording this. Uh, I have the TV on mute, but it's that what's playing on the TV just to have something on in the background. And uh, I mean, the payoff. That is what I will say about Avengers Endgame. I mean, I went and saw the first Iron Man movie opening weekend in theaters. My dad uh, took us to see it. And I remember him reading uh, the paper. He's a big business guy. He follows kind of like business conversations and everything. He used to read the paper uh, every Saturday morning. And he would look at movie reviews and he would read articles about the movies that were coming out that weekend. And I remember him looking at the paper and reading it that morning and being like, oh, there's this new Iron Man movie coming out. And uh, he, of course, knew that I liked superheroes and everything. So he was asking, like, oh, do you know, is that like a popular character in the comics or whatever? And I, at the time, I was like, I mean, there was a cartoon in the 90s about Iron Man, but he's not really a popular character. And I remember my dad saying, oh, I read in this newspaper article that they are going to start a, a studio. This is going to be the first Marvel movie actually made by Marvel. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I remember him saying they're planning to like do a bunch of movies and connect them all that they're going to do like a, a, a Hulk movie and a Thor movie and maybe connect them all together in a big team up. I was like, oh, in my head, I'm like, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, 2008, I would have been, oh gosh, 12 at the time uh, when this movie came out. Or I suppose in May, I would have been 11 at the time. Uh and I'm just thinking, well, that's cool. This idea of the connected universe and all that. And so now flash forward to 2019 when Avengers Endgame comes out. Like, I could not have imagined at 12 years old when I first saw the first Iron Man movie that we would get to a movie with dozens of characters spanning all over the universe with characters from earth other planets with the avengers the guardians of the galaxy uh with time travel going to all these different places how could i have ever imagined that we would get there I mean I couldn't have and so um, for that payoff alone I mean being rewarded as a fan who 
went and saw every single Marvel movie opening weekend in theaters who had stuck around the whole time, who had seen some of the films multiple times in theaters. And in recent years, I, I think since, I guess since Captain Marvel, I've seen, no, before that, sorry, I'm trying to think back in my head, since, uh, Civil War I've seen them all on that Thursday night to be rewarded as a fan for my loyalty with Avengers Endgame just alone puts it up there in the top 10 and then the character payoff the emotional payoff with our core Avengers I mean you, you don't beat moments like Cap picking up Mjolnir or Tony saying, I am Iron Man. You don't beat moments like Thor talking to his mom and getting catharsis or something simple as Rocket putting his hand in Nebula's hand and them crying together, two characters that you don't think of as characters that are going to cry. But they've just been through the ringer. And the, the way that we just get connected to these characters over the years and for this film to pay off that is just amazing. So... It's another movie you'll hear me talk more about, but I love Avengers Endgame. My number one favorite movie of all time, based on the previous ones, this might kind of seem like a, a harsh turn here, very different from the other ones I've talked about, is Beauty and the Beast, the 1991 animated movie. And... Uh, this one's on here for different reasons. I mean, is it a technically fantastic movie? Yes. It's a beautiful animated movie. The music is fantastic. Uh, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken did an amazing job with the music and lyrics. Uh, it's a timeless story. It has characters that you just want to love, like, like Belle, Beast, or even characters like Gaston and LeFou. But it's really at the number one spot because this was my sick movie growing up. Uh, this was the movie that if I was homesick, my mom would pop in the VHS tape and put on. This is the movie that if I'm sick as an adult, I still I, I pull it up in my... Uh, my digital movie library and I turn it on. Um, I mean, the, the connections that I have to this film are, I mean, my cap from college graduation said I want adventure in the great white somewhere. Um, I, I've always loved consuming media and reading 
and had trouble with it as someone with dyslexia. So Belle was someone that I looked up to. Um, Belle is my mom and my sister's favorite Disney princess. Uh, I got to meet the voice of Belle with my fiance and she signed a painting that she did uh, that we bought from her. So, I mean, my connections to Beauty and the Beast go so deep. Uh, not to, I played Beast in high school uh, in the in the the stage production. The connections to this movie are all over the place for me, and so this one is going to be one that is kind of like in another tier above all other movies for me, and so it's it might never get unseated as my favorite movie of all time um but it's kind of in its own league <laughs> uh, because of those things that's my top five favorite movies of all time um i love hearing people's favorite movies i love seeing people's rankings because it really gives you a window into who they are and uh, their personality and like what really drives them to like something. So yeah, I hope that showed you a little bit more about who I am. Okay, and with that, that brings us uh, to our weekly recommendations segment here on Pop Culture Fae. So every week, um, depending on what I've consumed, I will give some different recommendations. Usually I'll probably always have a comics, TV, and film recommendation. Now, if there were any other types of media that I consumed that past week that I feel strongly about, say a new game that I've played or another podcast that I've listened to, I might recommend those as well. But uh, you can always pretty much count on a comic book recommendation, TV recommendation, and a film recommendation. So I'll start this week with my comic book recommendation for this week. And that is... Um, I think probably an obscure recommendation here. Uh, that is the six-issue miniseries from 2016 that Marvel did called Starbrand and Night Mask. This was something that I read this past weekend as part of a larger um, Marvel Cosmic and Avengers reading order that I'm doing. I'm insane and a completionist. And so... Right now, I'm trying to slowly go back through the past uh, 12 or so years of continuity in Marvel and consume a lot of the different team books, cosmic books, and all of that. Uh, so I'm reading a lot of the Thor stuff, Guardian stuff, uh, the Avengers stuff. Uh, I already kind of did this a couple years ago with X-Men. Uh, with all the X-Books starting from uh, 2016 to um, House of X and Powers of 10. But now I'm kind of going back and uh, doing this again 
with some other books. So I started with the Annihilation event, and this is last summer I started this reading order so I can tell, give you an idea of how long it's taking me. Uh, but I, I read this six-issue miniseries, to get back to my recommendation, called Starbrand and Nightmask. These are two definitely lesser-known uh, Marvel characters. They're both, uh, th these versions of them, I should say, were both introduced in uh, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run that led up to the Secret Wars event. And they're very much tied to the Marvel cosmic side of things, especially the very kind of like hyper intellectual side of Marvel cosmic. So we're talking characters like Eternity are in um, this mini series. So very kind of like high concept Marvel cosmic. And that is all juxtaposed with a story of two guys going to college and being college freshmen and the comedy that uh, that happens in this miniseries because of that juxtaposition is why i'm going to recommend it it's just charming to have a, a story about two guys going to college uh going to parties and uh like uh something as simple as like not thinking of what they needed to bring for their dorm being a plot point right alongside a plot that involves entities in the marvel universe like eternity and the thinking about the very fabric of the marvel universe um that's why i'm going to rec recommend it so if you like those kind of high concept Marvel cosmic stories, you're definitely going to enjoy this uh, mini series. And that's Starbrand and Nightmask from 2016. My TV recommendation uh, is, of course, this week going to be to watch episode one of Miss Marvel. Um, it aired on Disney Plus this past Wednesday, and a big part of the conversation around this show before its release and after has been taken up by the changes to the character from the comics. I mean, they've changed her powers. Some of her personality is a little bit different and that's important to talk about, right? She's, they are adapting it to a different medium. They're changing some things. And uh, that's definitely a conversation that we could go into and uh, in depth at a later point, kind of talking about when we take something from comics and adapt it into uh, TV or film, when we change things, what does that do? But also thinking about Ms. Marvel premiering as a character in 2013 versus the show coming out in 2022 and what that nine-year gap does for the character and what she's needed for in the larger narrative of the comics versus the larger narrative of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But overall, the show is charming. It has a unique style that we haven't seen in the MCU. It's a coming-of-age story mixed with a story about nerds, mixed with a Marvel cosmic story. If you 
if you love Spider-Man Homecoming, if that's one of your favorite MCU movies, you're definitely going to love Miss Marvel. And if you liked the show Heartstopper on Netflix, you're going to like Miss Marvel. If you think about the overlap between those two things, that's kind of where this show exists in a very pleasant and colorful way. My last recommendation for this week, my film recommendation, is not a specific movie, but ties into my top five films that I went over in today's episode. And that is to go back and watch whatever your sick day movie was growing up. Think about what's that movie that you or your parents would put on for you that you would put on for yourself or that your parents would put on for you when you were sick growing up and rewatch it and see what kind of feeling or emotions kind of come up from that. And that might be a really cool experience. Or maybe you have a sick day movie that is more of like an adult sick day movie that you've come to love as an adult. Um, my fiance, his go-to sick movie is Titanic. That is, if he's not feeling well, he puts on that movie and it just makes him feel better. And for me, as I said before, it's Beauty and the Beast. So think about what that is and rewatch it. That's my film recommendation for the week. So uh, those are my weekly recommendations. And I hope you uh, think about those and check those out if you're interested. Well, I hope today's episode gave you a great idea of what to expect from Pop Culture Fae going forward. Once again, I am Miller C. Lashbrook. You can find me on Twitter at Mill C. Lashbrook, um, on Instagram at Miller C. Lashbrook, and for more Pop Culture Fae, you can head to my website, popculturefay.com, for blog posts and more content. I hope you have a fantastic day. Bye-bye.